There are places in Scripture where God's plan is just clearly defined, clearly spelled out, clearly demonstrated by God Himself or uh, uh, by His people speaking on His behalf. Places where you clearly see God at work for His purposes and for the sake of His people through miraculous means. And there are other times when God is not mentioned directly or barely mentioned. His plan is is not clearly defined and spelled out. Nothing miraculous is, is taking place. And yet, when you look at that particular story in light of the bigger story unfolding, the bigger story in Scripture, God's gospel story, you see him clearly at work. Ruth is one of those types of books. And Ruth chapter 4 is one of those types of chapters in Scripture. While the, and the plan of God is not clearly spelled out here, nothing miraculous is happening. When you place this chapter in this story beside God's bigger story, God's gospel story, and you, you examine the details and, and process them in light of where the story is heading, you see God clearly at work. You understand the significance of what is taking place in this chapter and story when it comes to God's gospel story and when you put the two side by side. This morning, as we study Boaz's actions at the city gate, in Bethlehem, we are going to see the providence of God on display as we have seen throughout the whole story of Ruth. Now, before we get into this story, let me take a moment to refresh your memory on what we mean when we say providence of God. We learn in God's Word that He works in one of two ways. He works through miracles and He works through providence. A miracle is when God breaks from the natural processes. He disrupts the flow of normal life to accomplish his purposes. Providence is when he works in and through his natural world. John MacArthur explains it in this way. Look at this quote up on the screen. That's a good quote. A miracle is God violating the natural world to invade it supernaturally. Providence is God supernaturally using the natural world to accomplish his will. Good quote. Though we see him working in both ways in Scripture, for the most part, get this, God is at work through providence. While at times you have him parting the sea and sending angels, healing the lame, raising the dead, primarily we read about this person doing this and this person doing that and this, this, and that happening all sorts of seemingly unrelated events happening, though they're not unrelated, right, to accomplish God's will. That's his providence. It's still supernatural because God is at work. It's just him using natural events, working in and through the world and the people he created and the systems he put in place to accomplish his Purposes. Again, this is the way he is at work in the book of Ruth. This is the way we're going to see him at work once again in Ruth chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Ruth 4. 
We are almost finished with this series through Ruth. We got this Sunday and next, and then we're done. We have entitled this series, The Gospel According to Ruth. And before we get into chapter 4, let me give a brief word of review once again. I know you're like, enough with the reviews, right? But... You're going to thank me down the line because now it's going to be ingrained in you, right? You're not going to forget it. You're going to be able to easily recall the details from the book of Ruth. We learn at the beginning of this book that during one of the darkest times in God's people's history, you have this wonderful love story taking place, this wonderful story of redemption. But it does start off rocky. Like every good story, this one has conflict there is famine in Bethlehem and the focus of the story settles in on one family in particular and when famine hits this particular family decides to hit the road they abandon fellowship with God and with his people for food and the one leading the charge is the head of the family Elimelech he and his wife Naomi and their two sons they move to Moab and after moving to Moab which by the way was a big no-no just read your Bibles Moab was no place for God's people he moves them there to save his family's life and what happens as a result is all the men in the family Elimelech and his sons Malon and Kilion whose names mean sick and dying should have known better they die but not before the two sons take Moabite wives after their death Naomi receives word that food has returned to Bethlehem. So she begins to set her sights back toward Bethlehem. And at first she has both of her daughters-in-law wanting to go with her. But Naomi, who seems at first to have the same value system as her husband, says, I got nothing to offer you. Nothing other than the one true God, right? And to follow him. But she says, if you follow me, you're going to be without husband and, and children. You might have to forfeit that to come with me. Well, Orpah decides to turn back to her people and we're told they're gods. Sad story about Orpah. But Ruth commits herself to following after Naomi and the one true God. She says, where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Well, she and Naomi, they returned to Bethlehem. And by the time they arrive, word is, has already traveled to this little town and around this little town, typical of a little town, right? Word's traveling. People know about Naomi's situation. And they're, they're inquiring about things, asking about her. And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi any longer, which means pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because she's bitter, she believes that God has dealt bitterly with her and her family. But what she's going to find as the story unfolds is that God is dealing in a very loving and gracious way to them. We're going to see him at work while she is sulking. God is working, right? So, so we, we see that here. But it's a difficult situation to return to in Bethlehem. Naomi has no husband. Ruth has no husband. There are no other sons. Both are widow and, uh, widows and, and poor. And Naomi is bitter. And Ruth decides to do what she can to help her situation. And Naomi's situation in Bethlehem, she decides to go gleaning for food to collect grain from, from a field, from the fringes, the outer edges of the field that God had required landowners to leave for the poor 
and the widows. And while looking for a field, we're told that Ruth happened to come, that's literally translated, she chanced, chanced upon a field belonging to Boaz. So get this, Ruth happened by chance to reach a field. It just so happens that she finds herself in Boaz's field. It just so happens that he is wealthy. It just so happens that he's godly. It just so happens that he's generous. It just so happens that he's in the family of Elimelech. And it just so happens that he's single. Is that by chance? Say no. What happens next is, they just so happen, it just so happens that, that Boaz sees Ruth at work one day, and it just so happens that he asks about her and calls upon her and praises her and prays for her and generously gives to her and employs her and provides for her and protects her. It just so happens that he takes her to lunch and serves her and sends her with enough food and provision for both her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Everything is going so well, and you think any minute that they're just going to connect they're gonna get married and right off into the sunset to live happily ever after but it doesn't happen right away after that meal he doesn't call Boaz doesn't ask her out on a second date he leaves Naomi and Ruth to wonder is there any future there well we learned last week in Ruth 3 that Naomi and Ruth decide to make the next move it's because of a meddling mother-in-law and Ruth being willing to go along with it, that eventually God is going to bring Boaz and Ruth together and they are going to pursue more than an employer-employee relationship because she wants Ruth to settle down with a husband so that things will be well with her. Naomi, knowing that Boaz would be spending the evening, this particular evening, at the threshing floor, he tells Ruth this, and this is, uh, uh, this is my paraphrase, okay, so bear with me. She basically says, put on that nice dress you used to wear, take off your garments of mourning, put on garments that show you're available, get dressed up, put on perfume, and after Boaz has enjoyed a nice dinner with friends and settles down on the threshing floor, go to him to the place where he lies, uncover his feet, lie down where his feet were covered, and he will tell you what to do. Now, last week we said that this is a bit of a risky plan for a woman to go by night, to travel by night was dangerous for men to do, much less women, to a place like that at night, lay at a man's feet, might have also damaged her reputation if someone saw this unmarried widowed Moabite leaving Boaz at night. It's risky if you lay at the feet of the wrong man. But we talked about Boaz is not the wrong man, is he? On this night, Boaz is awakened to Ruth, lying at his feet. And after he finds who she is, Ruth acknowledges him as her redeemer. And she basically proposes that he propose. It's very unique. Well, Boaz responds like a godly man that he, that he certainly is. And he prays for her and he shares with her this desire to be her redeemer. But he shares with her that there's an issue. There is another man in the way, a redeemer, who is closer in kin to Elimelech. Boaz assures her, however, that he will handle matters and that Ruth will be redeemed, either by him or by this other man. 
So Ruth returns home, hails Naomi, and Naomi gives Ruth wonderful advice. She says this in Ruth chapter 3, verse 18. Look at it. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. She tells her to wait and allow Boaz to work. She, she tells her to wait and rest in the work that Boaz is going to do on her behalf. She lets her know that this great work of redemption is Boaz's work. We talked about how that beautifully illustrates the gospel. That's the way we're to come to Christ. We're to come and lay at his feet. We're to surrender our lives to him. We're to trust in his person and work alone for salvation, which is why Charles Spurgeon referred to Jesus as our glorious Boaz. Beautiful illustration of the gospel. We're going to learn today of this great work that Boaz does at the city gate in Ruth chapter 4. There are two things I want you to notice here about the work that, that Boaz accomplishes as the redeemer for Ruth and for Naomi for the family of Elimelech. First, he handles the business of Elimelech's land, and then he handles the business of who's going to take Ruth's hand in marriage, okay? Two issues, two matters of business to discuss, Elimelech's land and Ruth's hand. Notice first, point number one, who is going to redeem Elimelech's land? Look at Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here, and he turned aside, and he sat down. So let's stop here for just a minute. There are a few contextual things that are important here. Notice, one, that, that Boaz goes to the city gate to handle matters. The reason why is because in this day, throughout these cities, throughout the land, that was the place that business was to be done. It kind of served like a courthouse in an East Texas town would today in the, in the town square. That's where the business was taken care of. This is also where people would see people they knew in the town. Again, like a small town, right? You want to go see people you know in the town? You want to go find somebody? Go to the town square. That's, that's the way the city gate functioned in the little town of Bethlehem in Boaz's day. Boaz went to find this nameless character who's closer in line to act as a redeemer for this family, and he finds him. So Boaz calls out to him, and he says, turn aside, friend, sit down. He calls for him. He says, hey, guy, I've got a matter of business to discuss with you. Can you sit with me? Let's talk about it for a minute. He also needed some leaders to witness this business that was going to be discussed. That also was uh, custom for that day, customary for that day. And so we're told in verse 2, and he, Boaz, took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. 
But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So, so Boaz lets this nameless man know about this land that belongs to Elimelech, and he has the option of buying it to redeem it and own it. This deal sounded pretty sweet to Mr. X, and so he thought that was all that there was to it, to this deal. So he says, sounds good to me. I'll take it. I'll take the land. Now, I think Boaz is being a smart businessman here. He leads with this on purpose. He's not being dishonest in his presentation. He is giving him what he knows will be appealing to him first, and then he's going to give this man the catch. Notice when the man hears about the first part of the deal, he says, great, I'll redeem it. Sounds good to him. Then he gives him the catch. First he asks him who is going to redeem Elimelech's land. Next he asks who is going to take Ruth's hand. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So he lets the man know, with this deal comes land, but also comes a wife. You will be gaining a wife and a mother-in-law, and any male children from the marriage will serve to perpetuate the name of the dead, of Elimelech and Malon, Ruth's late husband. It will, it will secure this inheritance. When the man heard of, of the sacrifice he was going to have to make and how little he benefited from the deal, how much that would hit his pocketbook, he decided quickly that was not a sacrifice he was willing to make. He changes his tune. Look at verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Man, this guy changes his tone quickly. Now it's debated whether or not this man selfishly is saying no or whether or not he's completely unable to marry Ruth financially. We do know that there is a bride price involved. He says that that part of the agreement would impair his inheritance. And that word impair could refer to something that is marred or flawed a bit or something that is completely brought to ruin. So there is a wide spectrum over what that word means. But for whatever reason, he says, I cannot redeem it. I can take the land, but not Ruth's hand. Okay? His investments and his own inheritance were more important to him than to house and feed and care for these poor, hungry widows who are family. So you make your own judgment over Mr. X and his decision there. The fact that Boaz also stated that Ruth was a Moabite might have also been a deterrent for this unnamed kinsman redeemer. It might have been that greed, possibly even uh, prejudice, was keeping this man from stepping in and allowing himself to be used by God as an instrument of rescue for this family. But Boaz was different. He's good, he's godly, he's a gracious goel, which that word means redeemer in the Hebrew. Look at verse 7. 
Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal. It's going to get a little strange here, but I'll explain it, okay? We don't make deals this way today. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate, to continue, to preserve the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. Your witnesses this day. So let me explain what's going on here. We, we see here that these, these ten elders were, were called together by Boaz. They were appointed to serve as witnesses of this business transaction. They had witnessed Mr. X refuse to function as a redeemer of Elimelech's land. He, he wanted to redeem the land, but uh, he did not want Ruth as a wife so he did not agree but Boaz has agreed to both and and so they they're watching this business transaction take place and there's something strange that takes place we, we learn here that Mr. X took off his sandal and gave it to Boaz what on earth is he doing that for well I'll explain this is common practice in this day when it came to an agreement like this and the duties of a redeemer to bypass one redeemer to move on to another. This is what they would do to show that that transaction took place. Look up on the screen at Deuteronomy chapter 25. Okay, Deuteronomy 25. That's too small. You might want to look at it in your Bibles. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. I'll read it for you. You can mark it in your Bibles to read later on. You're going to see how this is very similar to our story in Ruth. Listen to the details here. We're told if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed in the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel and if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate notice where it's taking place she goes up to the gate to the elders see the similarities and says, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of this city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, the, the other brother, and he says, I do not wish to take her for a wife. Verse 9. Then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. Wow. What a reaction, right? She's told to do this. 
And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. So let me explain this. In Deuteronomy 25, we're told that if a brother refused to act as a redeemer to the wife of his dead brother, he could refuse, and the responsibilities may be passed on to another, but it was viewed as a shameful act, and the wife of the deceased brother would go to the other brother who refused. She would take the individual's sandal, and she would spit in his face. While he could not be Forced into those responsibilities, the actions of the widow showed how shameful the refusal was. Okay? You with me? Well, in this case, notice that Ruth is not the one taking the sandal because she has another redeemer acting in her place, Boaz. And notice, while Boaz took the sandal of Mr. X, there's no spitting in the face here. Do you notice that? That's probably because this unnamed man was not a brother of Malon. Malon's brother had died. If a brother refused, it was a shameful act to refuse, but not necessarily of a distant relative. It was just an act, I believe, of kindness or grace. They were under no obligation, as we talked about last week. Also read where the uh, giving of the sandal was simply a public act showing that the rights of land were being passed on to another, signifying that the right for that individual was going to, to another to possess that property. And so that exchanging of the sandal, it showed that that transaction took place Plus, they had witnesses involved, okay? Now, notice again that, that Boaz, he is acting in a way not under obligation, but he is acting in a gracious way, right? In a loving, generous, merciful, and benevolent way. He, like Mr. X, voiced, is not benefiting financially from this. He is the one making the sacrifice. Think about this. Ruth has already been married. She's a foreigner without a dime to her name. We learn in this book that, that Ruth was married for close to 10 years before Malon died. She has no children, so there's risk there as well. She might be barren. But, but Boaz, because of a love for Ruth, because he was both willing and able, because he was a generous and gracious and godly redeemer, he steps in and he redeems this woman and this family. Boaz is a good man, isn't he? He really, really is. Now, some take issue with this union and with Ruth being in the line of David. And in the line of Christ, they take issue because of what is said in Deuteronomy 23.3. Let's look at it real quickly up on the screen. Listen to what Deuteronomy 23.3 says. No Ammonite or Moabite. Now, let me give you a brief history on the Ammonites and the Moabites. You remember Lot. He didn't just have an inappropriate relationship with one daughter, but with two. His older and his younger. Both of them had sons. And through those sons come the Ammonites and the Moabites. 
Both groups spawned from incest, and we're told here they were a godless people. And in Deuteronomy 23.3, we're told no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. And many think that Ruth being numbered with God's people is a violation of this verse of Scripture here. This is where context is key. Remember something. Always remember this. God never rejects people on racial grounds. He rejects them on religious grounds. That's important for you to make that distinction. That's the issue. He does not want any pagan Ammonite or Moabite to intermarry with his people and lead them astray. That's why it was a mistake for Elimelech to go to Moab to begin with because he was going to put his sons in a position to intermarry these women. Though it wasn't right, God, as he often does, he takes that wrong and he makes it right. He changes Ruth from the inside out. She changed drastically in chapter 1. We learned that she forsook her people and their pagan and godless ways to follow hard after the one true and living God of Naomi's people, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This godly woman marrying Boaz, get this, it's a picture of God's great mercy and grace. Did you know we have that picture in the Old Testament? That God is a merciful and gracious God? Oftentimes people try to paint the God of the Old Testament as harsh and angry and wrathful and the God of the New Testament as loving and merciful and gracious. No, we have God's mercy and grace on display all throughout the Old Testament. We have it here in this story. Notice what happens next. Look at verse 11. Then all the people who were gathered at the gate and the elders, so there's a crowd gathered, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Now this right here is special. Remember, this is taking place during the period of the judges. One of the darkest times spiritually for God's people and yet here you have a crowd gathered and elders at the gate of the city of Bethlehem praying for this couple in accordance with God's will they're not always on track but they were here notice they pray that the Lord would make Ruth like Rachel and Leah. Who were Rachel and Leah? Think about it. They were mothers of 12 sons who became the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Through these women came the people of God. They were the matriarchs of Israel. Guess who Ruth becomes? She becomes the matriarch of the Davidic kingdom. The matriarch of the Messiah. This is a prophetic plea that God's people are making here. Pretty cool, right? Look at verse 11 and 12. Here's the prayer for Boaz. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. He sure will be great-grandfather of King David in the line of Christ. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. I want you to notice something here. 
We're getting into a lot of Old Testament here. You're welcome. Notice the family history of Boaz. It's similar to Ruth. Remember, Ruth was a Moabite, a people group that was spawned from incest through the relations of Lot and his oldest daughter. Notice Boaz, we're told here, is in the house of Perez, who was the son of Tamar and Judah. Do you remember that story? Boy, that's a messed up story. You're going to read about it this week. Genesis 38. Judah was the son of Leah, one of the heads of the 12 tribes, the, the Messianic tribe, right, where Christ will come. He has several sons. One married a woman named Tamar, but he was wicked, and so God put him to death. Then another one of Judah's sons stepped in to give Tamar children, but without going into too much detail, you can read it later, it's pretty scandalous and wicked. He did not fulfill the duties of a redeemer, and he acted wickedly, and he too was killed by God. And there was another son of Judah who refused to act as a redeemer, so Tamar is left a widow and childless. So what she decides to do is she dresses herself up as a prostitute, and she lures her father father-in-law Judah in and they get together she gets pregnant with her father-in-law's babies because they're twins when Judah finds out Tamar's pregnant he wants to put her to death until he finds out that he's the father how he has neglected her because of his sons scandalous isn't it Tamar has twin sons by Judah Perez and Zerah and Perez is in the lineage of Jesus. Read about it, Matthew 1. This union, follow me here, this is good. This union here between Boaz and Ruth is an unlikely one. Both have rocky histories because of sin, and they come together during one of the darkest times in God's people's history, but they're used by God in mighty ways for his kingdom purposes, proving once again that God is at work in the midst of the mess of this broken and fallen and sin-stained world in which we live for his purposes, for his sake, and for his glory. And he is at work in that way today, folks. God has not changed. He is at work through providence in the midst of the mess in which we live for his purposes and for his glory. Take heart in that. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. More on that next week. Let me end with this. I want to take time once again to uh, close to show you how the gospel is so clearly illustrated in the actions of Boaz and Ruth 4 and the union of both Boaz and Ruth. We have said already and we'll learn next week the Messiah is going to come from this union between Boaz and Ruth. Jesus is coming through this family because of the actions of Boaz at the city gate in Bethlehem there is later going to be a birth in a barn in Bethlehem right these two characters their actions Ruth and Boaz God is going to work in and through that to bring our Savior into the world and the work Boaz does on Ruth's behalf it paints a beautiful 
picture of the work that Christ came and accomplished. Get this. Boaz is the redeemer in the story of Ruth. Jesus is the redeemer in God's gospel story. Boaz redeems his bride, Ruth, at the city gate. Christ redeems his bride, the church, outside the city, outside of Jerusalem at Calvary. Boaz redeemed Ruth through a monetary sacrifice. Christ redeemed the church through a physical sacrifice. Ruth did nothing to purchase her salvation. We did nothing to purchase our salvation. Boaz, out of a love for Ruth, because he was both able and willing to save, he redeemed her in the household of Elimelech. Christ, out of a love for us, because he was both able and willing to save, he provides salvation for all who trust in him alone for salvation. Boaz redeemed Ruth. Christ redeems us. Are you trusting in Christ as your great Redeemer today? Have you fallen at His feet? Have you given the reins of your life up and over to Him? Have you made Him Lord of your life? Are you trusting in His person and work alone for your salvation? If not, that's the reason you're here this morning. I pray, if you have not, that you would forsake your sin. You would turn from your sin. You would bow your knee today to King Jesus. Make him your Lord and be saved. Let me pray for us.